Hello to you all and welcome to the Pitcast by us here at the Pit Crew Online from the fans for the fans. On this week's episode, we're ready to discuss the Portuguese and Spanish Grand Prix that, that took place in the last two weeks. I'll, I'll be your host today. My name is Luca. I am the de facto esports guy within the within the crew. Uh, and to discuss this, we, I have here two of my colleagues. First up, we have our IndyCar correspondent, Adam. Hi, guys. Good to be back. Uh, taking a back seat this week. Sometimes I've been hosting, but it's nice just to, you know, let Luke have a go and I can just chillax and Luke. just have a little brief discussion with you all. Luke, it's Luca. Yeah, Luca. <laughs> okay. Thank, thank, thank you, Ad. And uh, secondly, also, know your place. I, I, I started this podcast. <laughs> okay. And secondly, before I get out of hand, we have our British touring car correspondent, Aaron. Now then, guys, I'll um I'll try and play peacemaker if you two start again. So. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm. Why are you on it? All right, let's let's get let's get into this before we eventually have a blood brawl. So, what I think the first prevailing narrative of the last two weeks is the fact that Lewis Hamilton finally did it. He scored the century in pole positions. No driver has ever come close to that, and the, the fact that Hamilton managed to do that. I mean, we all sort of knew it was going to happen anyway, but it still didn't didn't dampen the 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 feeling when, when we finally saw the first driver hit triple figures. Um, I want I just want to hand you over to Adam first about like, discussing this probably insurmountable achievement. Well, we say insurmountable; it could very well be beaten in the next few years. We we all thought Schumacher's was completely insurmountable. Uh, Adam, yeah, I can't believe we've actually got to this point. To be honest, I was talking to someone the other day when we were saying how we remember when Lewis Hamilton was in sort of like the 20s in terms of pole positions when he was at McLaren and now we're at a stage where he's at 100 with Mercedes it's almost weird to think that he was almost ahead of mo what most other drivers would achieve back in those days in 2011 and 2012 you know he already at that point he was marking himself out as a great and he's now seized that opportunity at Mercedes and has just cleared the field <laughs> cleared history by miles um, and done it in spectacular style um you know you would say arguably over the past couple of races that red bull have shown glimpses of pace that they've shown that they have the potential to fight up there with mercedes at any given time in qualifying but i think at spain we saw that mercedes just edged it slightly whether that be that they found something they've cracked something in that development of that car or they've cracked something in terms of qualifying setup they definitely had they just found something on that final lap and it's typical Hamilton style, isn't it? He just sort of saves it just for that final lap in Q3 and just pulls it out the bag. And, you know, I don't want to talk about it too much because we could just lax, you know, wax lyrical about this for hours, but yeah, just wow. Utterly unbelievable. And uh, a good note that Adam touched upon there um, over the last two races, we've sort of started to see, and maybe this was a bit preemptive Aaron, but a bit of a break away from Mercedes in a sense because after Imola it all looked very um, much tightened up um, between the two you could sort of like have, have a very small gap between them but now uh, at least in the races it would seem that Hamilton and Mercedes have both found that edge and particularly in in Spain another masterstroke strategy wise going on the on the on another set of tires and repeating what he did in Hungary 2019 against Verstappen um has Mercedes, how do you think Mercedes have definitely found that edge after being behind in pre-season testing? Um, I, I mean, 
Spain's always been a Mercedes track anyway. They've always been fields ahead of, of everyone else at Spain regardless. So I don't know yet. I'm kind of reserving judgment because it's, you know, it's that one race. Um, you know, Red Bull are still right behind them, I think, right in that fight. And I think what helps is this is Hamilton's bread and butter. He does this every year in, year out, whereas Verstappen's in a new position where he's fighting for fighting for something now. He's not just trying to be the best of the rest. He's trying to take on the best and beat the best. So would you say then that Hamilton, even if Verstappen was ahead at the moment, do you think that gives Hamilton the edge going in later into the season? I think it'd just make Hamilton hungrier. You know, he'd be like, well, you know, someone's ahead of me. I'm going to have to take him down. This is the thing, like he he's had so little opposition, you could argue in the past. I mean, he's obviously had the Sebastian Vettel of the Ferrari days. He's had Nico Rosberg in the Mercedes days. But over the past year or two, you could probably say that his nearest competitor would have been Valtteri Bottas in the same car. And he hasn't really provided that challenge. And he's had to find something in his find something in himself to go that extra gear again and to find that motivation again. It must be really, I don't know, it must be like, like being a kid again, just you know, find just rediscovering your love of the sport. Now, now yeah, I, I think um, considering now that Hamilton has got that seven championships and he's tied, he definitely is going to have going to be going into this thinking that he can go, break away from Schumacher's record. And um, I think at that point, Hamilton will have nothing more to prove. And I'm not saying he'll retire, but I think he'll probably stay on an F1 just for the fun of it. And uh, I mean, again, if I was him and get a ninth championship, then if I just fall short of 10, oh, imagine being coming so close to being the first driver to get into the double digit. Like he's, he's, got, he's got the triple digit amount of balls. He's most likely, because he's on 98 now, get the triple digit amount of wins. Being the first ever to get a double digit amount of titles and just falling short of that, that, that would be a hole that nobody could, could fill. Can, Nothing could fill that. It's going to be like... 2030 Lewis Hamilton is going is gunning for his 200th like race win or something ridiculous he's going to keep not. going and going yeah I mean, how old will he be in 2030 he was born in early 1985 so 45 I think hmm. I don't know he'll probably have packed it in by then let's <laughs> let's hope anyway all right moving moving swiftly on um so we there's there's definitely a lot happening in the uh, in the midfield that I think is worth touching upon. So, for example, Perez, um, as we saw in Imola, he managed to be the, the first teammate in a long time to out-qualify Max Verstappen, purely on pace, um, because I think Pierre Gasly did it in Canada um, in 2019. But technically, I think Verstappen had had a reliability issue or some. I don't know. Anyway, point is, um, Perez has been showing not, not a bit sort of a mismatched uh, affair of being able to have look like he has the pace, but still not being able to translate that into great results, and making people think that the Red Bull seat will, is well and truly cursed, or that maybe they just can't admit that they don't really enjoy helping people other than Verstappen. And I think that's most likely the issue. But I think, considering that, that he's been used to like the Force India slash racing point car, but since 2014. I think he's done relatively well, but we all know that won't do for Red Bull. You know, they, they want uh, Verstappen in Spain referenced it himself. The fact that Perez wasn't in a position to be able to get ahead of Hamilton after his second stop and therefore 
it made life harder for Verstappen when Chris Hamilton was able to catch up much quicker. And as a result, he, he said that he needed his teammate to be there. And he hasn't, he hasn't had that with Gasly. He hasn't had that with Albon. And I feel like it's, it's inevitable that Perez is going to get a hang of it. And just in time as well, because imagine how quick Red Bull have been at Mexico and how Perez, yeah, Perez could be in a position to win his home race. If he makes it that far, if he's not devoted to Alpha Tauri in place of Sonoda, because we all know that will happen with Red Bull. Perez is inevitably going to get a hang of it. Though we obviously said the same about Gasly and Albon, but this is not an entirely similar situation. Um, but be honest, how do you think Perez has done in the in the, la- in the last few races, considering his position? And I'm going to first hold, hand it over to Aaron. Well, he's done with me. Um, yeah. I think he's done all right. I mean... Like, like you say, he's been in the midfield since 2014. He had his chance at, Miss, at McLaren and it was probably too early for him. But, you know, he's he's had what, three or four races in the Red Bull and he's, I think he said himself, he's slowly getting there and he's feeling closer to 100% now. So we should hopefully over the next few races see a better Perez. But he's a good driver. He's not a, a youngster like, you know, Gasly and like Albon who are already under pressure to succeed as soon as they step into the car. Perez is, he's not got, he's not in the same position, you know, he's already got a 10 year career. He's, he's there just to ship, just to, well, it's more, it's more of an, a reward for all the midfield battles and all the results he's pulled out of that racing point force India car. So I think it's, he's not under pressure as such. It's just, he's got to step up now and, be a, a good wingman for Verstappen because that's essentially all he is. Yep, true. Uh, also, yeah, it's a bit difficult to distinguish Aaron and Adam, especially when I've got a blocked up voice. <laughs> so, yeah, Adam, what, what what do you have to say about Perez? Because uh, you are a, you're a fan of his. And am I right? Or is that I I respect him due to his okay. performances that he put in in the midfield, especially when he was up against the likes when, say, Magnussen was doing well in the Haas, and when Hulkenberg was putting out the performances in the Renault. You know, he was always up there or thereabouts as best of the rest. Or even if you follow the is it the Formula uh, One Point Five Championship where they take out the top few drivers of each, uh, they take out the top teams and they just have the championship as say Racing Point and McLaren and, and the like, he was always up there every year. Um, so I don't think he's ever done badly as a racing driver. I think a lot of people before last year had this twisted conception of him as just some journeyman, but he always picked out P6s, P7s, which is where he figuratively is the best position he could possibly finish in a midfield car. So I think he's always been brilliant. Um, the thing with Perez now is, he is up against just such an extremely talented driver as Verstappen. It's probably the most challenging thing he's ever done in his career. Um, he's got to just do the best that he can for Red Bull, which is to hoover up the points and to help fight the, with the Constructors' Championship battle, which is what Red Bull needs him to do. Um, the thing I would say about the Imola lap was that Verstappen, I think, didn't really put his entire lap together. Like, I think he said he had this scruffy lap where he just... he, he had yeah, a turn two. Turn two, he went wide exactly so i don't i don't know if you can maybe match those two to get you know if you were if if max had put together a clean lap at imola would perez still have beaten him maybe we won't know but i mean he still did he, he still went faster so kudos that's still an amazing result um but something i found really interesting was when i was reading some of the articles over the past week there was something which 
uh, read that Christian Horner desperately needs Perez to be on the pace, whatever that means. And I just thought, here we go again. Like we, we're, we're at a stage now where we're, where Horner is being extremely demanding on his second seat driver to try and say, maybe Volt, Valtteri Bottas on track, you would, you would argue, because maybe that's where he should, should be aiming for. He should be aiming to beat Valtteri Bottas and to claim maybe third, um, claim that final podium position, which he isn't doing, but I think it's a bit harsh to criticise him for, you know, not doing that at this stage. Like Aaron said, it's getting used to the car and it's going to take time. As we all know, that Red Bull is an extremely difficult car to handle at the best of times. And it took how long for Albon to get, you know, somewhere at least um, a little bit close to Verstappen and to get a podium? You know, it took him from the first race of the season to just over halfway um, throughout that, uh, throughout the, um, his second season, sorry, in um is this second? Is it right to call it his second season in Red Bull? His one and a half season in Red yes. Bull? I don't know how to how to say it really, but it took him a really long time to get up to speed. So for Horner to already be on on Perez's back in just four races in, I think is a little bit a little bit harsh. I think we just got to give him a bit a bit of time, and he'll do yeah. it. Honestly, Red Bull kind of deserve this because they've been chopping and changing more than Henry VIII with his wives, and <laughs> yeah, and look. I have no sympathy for them. They they dug themselves in this hole with the academy program. They, they they earn their right to have this sort of predicament. And I'm hoping for Perez's sake that you know he he'll find a sweet spot. And I reckon he will. I, I honestly, when Perez is up to speed, Mercedes will be crossing their legs if Bottas isn't you know performing consistently up there because Perez is a remarkable driver. And if if Mercedes lose the championship this year because of Perez being able to be on form, then they'll probably, you know, ditch Bottas. But at the moment, yeah, it looks a bit like same old, same old. Perez is struggling in the rebel, blah, blah, blah. But, but at least Perez is qualifying at least half decently. Like with Albon, he would qualify maybe eighth, seventh sometimes, maybe even outside of Q you know, Q3, and it would really give him a lot to do in the races. Perez isn't doing that. He's at least qualifying somewhat decently. So it's at least giving him a chance to fight. Well, yeah, Perez is inevitably going to get good. Um, speaking of someone who who got good after struggling since switching teams, uh, Daniel Ricciardo. Um, I think he finally, after being knocked out in Q1 in uh, Portimao, he actually... Uh, for the first time this year, managed to outrace his teammate, who, who's been doing very well, Lando Norris. We could gush about him. I know I like to gush about him. For the, for the sake of impartiality, I shall now also gush over Daniel Ricciardo because he's one of my favourites as well. Um, so, yeah, that, Daniel Ricciardo, he, he has been struggling a lot and people were like immediately getting onto him. after the start, Before the start of the season, people were like, oh, I'm looking forward to Daniel Ricciardo being able to trounce Lando Norris and end his career. Now Norris has done phenomenally well, and all, all credit to him. But then people are really thinking, oh, maybe Daniel Ricciardo isn't as good as we think he is. And then that all that got put to bed um, when he managed to take, I think it was P6 or P5? Oh, I can't remember. Uh, at Spain, P6? Yeah, yeah, it was just ahead of Carlos Sainz, yep. hold, holding off the, the Ferrari driver. Um, yeah, I, I'm really pleased with, with the fact that he managed to get that result just in time for Monaco as well. Uh, and McLaren have and Ricardo have always gone well there. 
Um, Adam, what have you made of uh, Ricardo's gentle stride towards getting used to the McLaren? Uh, I think I just, you know, you just said it. He's struggling to get a hold of that McLaren, which Lando Norris has had so much time to, you know, he's been developing that car, you could say, for years, and he's been instrumental in the development of that car. It's going to take Ricardo time, just as it's taken Perez time. Um, but to be honest, like, um, we all knew he was going to get to a stage where he was going to be challenging Norris and maybe out-qualifying him and beating him in a race, and we, we saw that, you know. Um, Lando Norris uh, isn't going to be you know, last lap Lando every race, you know, that's just <laughs> unrealistic. And Ricardo was there just to pick up the pieces and he did more than that. He excelled. Um, he got off the line extremely well, didn't he, in Spain? He picked up a few places and that's sort of what kind of edged it for him in that race. He was able to sort of keep ahead of, you know, signs and Ocon and people like that and kind of gave him a bit of a an advantage and strategy, you could say. Um, he wasn't really running in that much dirty air throughout the race. Maybe he was on the back of Perez at some point. I can't really remember too much, but to be honest, he was able to, you know, uh, keep his tires pretty, pretty well intact. Um, he sort of did the same strategy of Carlos trying to hold him off the entire race. And Carlos was on his gearbox, I think within a second, I think for about 10, 15 laps. And he was just able to continuously keep a gap out of that final sector and um, cover him off going into the DRS. Um, so it was incredibly impressive performance, to be honest. And um, yeah, I'm sort of taking this as a good sign for Daniel. I think that this can only spell good things. And yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I think he's going to impress a lot of people over the next few races. And um, Aaron, I've got to ask you as well. Um, what have you made of Ricardo's surge? Well, not, maybe not surge, but gentle climb back to being able to get the results where it, that are more expectant of him. It's never easy to walk into a team that's so built around one drive, you know, it's, it is Lando's team, essentially, I think, um, you know, Carlos leaves, Danny comes in, and the engineer must have must have missed that memo, because he had to call, he called him Carlos, <laughs> um, but I think it'll come for him, he, you know, he's, he's not a bad driver as Ricardo, he's obviously he's a quality driver, he's won, what, nine races, seven races, Um he, you know, he knows what he's doing. He's just got to come into that team, you know, get used to the car. And it's like Perez at Red Bull. He's got to just put his foot down and get used to the car and the results will come. And I think, like you say, he does well at Monaco, so he should be fine. Yeah, I, I think that um, there was a moment in Drive to Survive where Carlos was reading through some data with his engineers and they were saying how Lando has this different approach to braking. Um to Carlos and they were sort of asking him to sort of adjust his driving style in order to match Lando's and I kind of saw that as maybe you know some of Lando Norris's driving characteristics have been almost inbuilt possibly into the design of this car and there were some quotes where Daniel Ricciardo coming into this weekend um, or maybe on the tail end of the weekend should I say was saying how he was trying to adapt to braking and come, um, corner entry as it were so yeah, I think maybe that there is something of a, that car is tailored potentially more towards Norris. And as you said, that's a hard thing to do if you're a driver coming in. You've got, you know, you're not driving your natural way. You've got to, you've, you know, <laughs> there's all this muscle memory that you've got to change and it's hard. It's hard. Well, on that note, we have to remember that Norris has been affiliated with McLaren his entire F1 career. 
Ricardo and Sainz well, came from Renault before they went to McLaren. So even though Norris, I think maybe Norris has sort of somewhat been developed himself around the McLaren car in a sense, whereas the other two haven't. And that, that's probably more why Norris has been able to extract as much as he has out of that. But on that note, since we are talking about him, uh, Ferrari and McLaren are definitely showing themselves as being the potential fight of the season. Like so far, apart from Spain, Norris has won the effective Formula 1.5 championship races so far um, with, with Leclerc. Actually, I think in past years, Ferrari, before 2020 anyway, were not in the Formula 1.5 conversation, but now they are. <laughs> 2020 <laughs> was very indicative of that. But yeah, they've definitely come back. And now that it's a it's a it's a, a true fight between Norris and Ricardo versus Leclerc and Sainz. And so far McLaren seem to be winning that battle. Um it, it has been a, a a good recovery from Ferrari to get back into this position um after being after a horrible 2020. But do do we put any money on who we think is really gonna be on top of that battle. Uh, I think we made that question after Imola as well, and we all seem to say McLaren, but now what do we think? Um, Aaron, do you want to go first? Um, I don't know what to think, to be honest. It's a difficult one, isn't it? I wouldn't put money on it. I mean, it's such a close call at the minute. It's you could It could go either way. It's, you'd be better off putting money on both and then hoping one of them comes out on top, but it's nice to see McLaren finally right back at the front. You know, they've been on this steady resurgence since the debacle of 2015 and 2016. And, I mean, it was nice to see Ferrari struggle to an extent, you know, just showing <laughs> they don't have everything so easy. You don't have um, friends in Italy now. <laughs> the Tifosi are on me already. I can hear them at my <laughs> um, But, yeah, it's, it was nice to see them sort of struggle a bit. It's just to... It brings them down a peg. It makes them humble again. It makes them think, all right, we're not these gods of Formula One. We're just the same as every other team. We've been Red here Bull since the start. But... <laughs> we've been here since the start, but that doesn't mean we've got a, a, a God-given right to win every race. You know, it was nice to see them struggle. And now they're coming back. You know, the the fighting for it. And who better to fight than McLaren, one of their old foes? It's, it's quality. I don't know what yeah. you got to say. Yeah, I agree. Like, I think in response to your question, Luca, I think it's it's going. I think I said this the last time. It's going to come down to which of the the second drivers is going to pull out most points out of across the whole season. And to be honest, it's going to be so difficult to call because Ricardo and Signs have sort of been neck and neck, sort of with each other throughout the season, and Leclerc and Norris have been swapping P4s every other race, and it's like. Who's going to drop the ball? Who's going to have the unreliability issue or something, which is going to knock off like 15, 20 points off their season? So um, to be honest, I think that, I honestly think that McLaren will probably do it. I think they'll edge it. Um, but I think it's going to be a really tight margin. Like I think it will probably go down to the final race of the season. It's going to have everyone on the edge of their seats and we're going to be like, oh, what's going to happen? Luca's going to go mad because he's going to be wanting Norris to finish ahead of Leclerc. I'm going to be going mad because I want Sainz to finish ahead of Ricardo. But um, yeah, I mean, today, um, today, looking at Ferrari's performance, they definitely took a step forward at Spain. I don't know what it is they figured out. 
Um, you know, they still have a slight deficit on the straights, but they seem to have the edge through the high speed corners. And that's going to be really interesting. And actually, I think somebody might have said in an interview that they might even have found some um, advantage in the slow speed corners. So all in all, that car seems like a really well-balanced and easy, accessible drive to car, which you couldn't say last year. The two drivers were complaining about the rear of the car. And what did they do across the winter? They spent their development tokens on the rear of the car to make it a lot more easier to drive. And it seems like they've done that. Um, and for signs, you know, a new driver coming in, you want an easy car to drive. You want something that's going to, you want something to hit the ground running quickly. And he's sort of doing that to some extent, you know, he's sort of almost there with Leclerc in qualifying and almost there with him in the races. So yeah, it's, it's looking good. Yeah. I mean, you say there, if Ferrari have found an edge in the slow corners, Ever since um, Leclerc joined Ferrari back in 2019, I was hoping that he'd find himself in a position where he could win his home race. Like, everyone wants to win the Monaco Grand Prix anyway, but imagine winning the Monaco Grand Prix as a Monoclass driver. That would be something else. And obviously, we didn't have it last year for obvious reasons. But, I mean, probably for a good thing, because then he wouldn't have won it. Leclerc has never actually finished a race around Monaco, not either of his F2 races and not either of his... Grand Prix and with oh, Silver. Of course, Ferrari. yeah, he he um he yeeted someone on the final corner, didn't he, the other year? Like it was like he it was struggled in qualifying. Hulkenberg, yeah, Hulkenberg. Yeah. He well, he didn't struggle in qualifying, they just Ferrari didn't bother to send him out for oh, some yeah, reason. Of course, yeah. Ferrari loves dropping the ball. Um anyway, I, I do actually want to like make some little special shout-outs. Um Esteban Ocon, for one. Uh, he it really impressed me in uh, in Algarve. Even if he did get passed around the outside beautifully by Norris on lap one, he um, he Alpine Alpine found some pace in uh, in Portimao, and um, seemed to translate it quite well into Barcelona as well. Even though they were on the wrong strategy at the end and Ocon only finished ninth, but it, it was still a pretty remarkable performance. What do you guys make of it, Adam? I thought he was really good. And, you know, we were all saying at the beginning of the season, you know, if he doesn't do better than Alonso, his career could be in the toilet. What he's, What is he doing? He's consistently outperforming Alonso, not to discredit, discredit Alonso at all. But, you know, Ocon's doing really well with what he's been given. Um, at Portugal, uh, you could say that he was one of the beneficiaries of the going on to the hard tyre at the at the end of the race. And he seemed to pick up a lot of places. Um, at the end of the race and he did well in qualifying as well so you know all around a good weekend there and um, qualified decently you could say at, um, Spain was it P6 that he qualified something like that P6 I think, I think so. he was sandwiched between signs and someone else maybe Leclerc um, so yeah he's doing really well um, not gonna lie somewhat has surprised me but then Arguably, should I be surprised? Because we all knew he had it there in his Force India days. And then people were really getting on his back last year when it was his was it his first season back after that hiatus. And, you know, it's always, you know, we've been talking about how it's hard for a driver to swap teams, let alone go out of Formula One altogether and then come back and then race against Daniel Ricciardo. So maybe we need to give Ocon a bit of slack. Well, I think we should probably wrap this up now by discussing like, Drivers of the day, but technically, since we're covering two races, I guess we've just sort of the driver that's impressed us the most across both races. Um, now, I'm I'm going to get the ball rolling on this. 
and I'm going to go with Hamilton because, and yes, it's the easy choice, but in both instances, he really had to fight back. Um, and that is a point that I have wanted to touch upon, but we never really got a chance to. Like, everyone assumes that because Hamilton wins a race, then it's boring. But in both instances, he hasn't had it all in his own way. And I think that's what makes him, for me, the best driver across these two races, because he's really had to fight back. Um, so that's why I picked him. Um, Adam, who do you go for? Uh, yeah, I mean, we've kind of touched on a load of the drivers already that have kind of impressed us. So I think that, yeah, part of me wants to pick Hamilton as well. So screw you, Luca. <laughs> I want to do that. But um, yeah, I, I think I've got to go with Leclerc, if I'm honest, because he's just kind of been consistently up there, not faltering, um, you know, not getting into any silly accidents, which we've seen Leclerc sometimes be guilty of doing over the past season or two he's sort of he's hit a kind of consistent stride that you would argue people like Verstappen did when he wasn't at the front of the grid but he was always putting his car just at the best he could do not faltering and being you know another 10-15 seconds up the road on his teammate so I think Leclerc's doing absolutely brilliantly um I would have given it to Lando Norris but he unfortunately finished you know down in P9 or P10 whatever it was so yeah go for Leclerc all right, uh, Aaron? Bottas. No, I'm kidding. What? Um, <laughs> I knew it, I knew it. <laughs> although, I will say I did admire how he didn't really bow to Hamilton in, in Spain. You know, the one I let him through was like, no, no, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not letting him through. To whom it may concern. Yeah, yeah, I kind of admired that. I'm not going to lie. You know, I, I like to see a bit of feistiness, not just a tepid second driver. Mm. Um, no, honestly, I think I'd pick Leclerc as well. Um, firstly, his move around Bottas around 10, 10, 3, whatever it is, around the outside, that was impressive. And like you say, he's, maybe he's outperforming the car. He's proving it wide. He doesn't really have any business being, you know, and he's he's done really well in the last two races. And like you say, I'd give it to Lando as well, but I think Leclerc's just impressed me in these two races alone. Um, yeah, Lando's qualifying was, sorry to cut you off there, but his qualifying oh. was messed up by our least favourite driver. <laughs> um, put him in a compromised position. He couldn't do a lot. Uh, he did let Ricardo back through uh, when he was on a, a strategy, paying him back for helping him get the podium in Imola. So that was good of him. Um, good egg, Lando. Uh, got. I do want to talk about Monaco. We're not going to expect much, but it is going to be very... I think this race, I reckon, if, depending on how it goes, it could be very indicative of the championship because we would probably expect Red Bull to do better than there than Mercedes because Mercedes has had you know like the car characteristics sort of not really that good at tracks like Monaco and, and Hungara ring and all that if they end up being good Monaco then I reckon that's probably season over as far as Red Bull's concerned um do, what how do we reckon the championship is going to sway in Monaco Adam um I think that it's difficult to predict because anything can happen at Monaco. You know, you could bin it in the wall in qualifying, you know, Verstappen-esque and, you know, ruin your entire race weekend. Um, I've got to say, there's going to be a race where Nikita Mazepan pops it in the wall and, like, causes a blockade going into Raskas. This is going to be the one, isn't it? So it's going to Well, be yeah, considering that there's no other track on the calendar with a corner called Raskas. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> for Bug, bugger. <laughs> no, whoa, but carry uh, but on. you know what I mean. You know, yeah. But um, I think that, to be honest, I think Lewis is hitting his stride at the moment, and I think that it's going to take a very strong 
force from Red Bull to stop him. Um, you know, I think he's got the bit between his teeth and if he puts it all together, he's going to extend the lead in this championship. So Red Bull have got to be on their A game. You reckon the same, Aaron? Yeah, I mean, Red Bull usually do quite well at, at Monaco. You know, Ricardo could have had two wins there, but we all know how that, that ended up. Um, I think Verstappen, you know, he needs, he needs to kind of curb the Hamilton momentum uh, and sharpish, otherwise he's just going to run away with it. Because like, like I said at the start, Hamilton's been there, done that in this situation. He's done it seven times now, uh, successfully anyway. Um, and Verstappen, you know, he's he's new to a title fight as such. So I think he needs to really put in a good performance and curb some of this Hamilton momentum. And, you know, then going into the next race, try and build his own momentum instead of having to fight uh, Caretail Hamilton all the time. Yeah, and also um, up, up until like a couple of hours ago, the um, the title fight could have potentially have been more skewed as a result of the the, the schedule. We had Canada being cancelled, and it was initially going to be have Turkey run on that date. However, now Turkey has been called off due to the um, COVID restrictions that have come in from the UK. Uh, Paul Ricard's been pushed back a week, and we now have two Red Bull ring races again. Um, I'm. I don't know why. We could have just had 22. I mean, why are they so eager to have 20? Maybe they'll be more cancelled down the line and this will look like a weird comment. But yeah, two races at the Red Bull ring. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll ha- I think we should like definitely discuss those races in isolation when, it, when they happen, like having yeah. two races again. Yeah. Let's just have a... Let's have a triple header at Austria. I don't want France. We'll, we'll yeah, <laughs> I, I'm the same. Nobody wants France. Nobody oh. oh, man. I wish I, the French deserve a better track. Honestly, uh, one person I do feel sorry for, Roman Grosjean, he was due to have a demo run at Paul Ricard in the Merck before like a full on test. But now because of it being pushed back, he's going to be at Road America and Adam's going to be reporting on him. So it's a double blow. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome, Adam. All right. Let's, um, let's end the episode there before we go on too long. Um, before, I, before I go, though, this will actually be my last pit cast. I am officially... As far as I'm concerned, anyway, I don't know. Maybe, hopefully, it doesn't go all sour on me, and that this one look like a very stupid bit of audio. But I am actually leaving the pit crew online, um, and it's it's it. There's a bit of sadness that come with it. Um, I, I've been part of pit crew since February of last year, just before the sim racing boom, which I, again I cannot believe my luck because I was into the sim racing aspect. I wanted to report on that. And now it has resulted in me earning an opportunity with a publication called Overtake GG, where I will be going to report on sim racing, which is a, an absolute dream come true. So uh, just wanted to say, since you're both here right now, Aaron, Adam, thank you for the for the past year. I know we'll still be friends after this, uh, unless Adam wants to have a go at me. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, um, it's been a pleasure. We'll be just staying in touch as friends and undoubtedly having like more banter over tw- Twitter chat as opposed to banter on the pit cast and uh, it's gonna it's gonna be weird not being in all the same online groups but yeah thank you very much both of you um it's been it's been a great ride so yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean you, uh, well I mean just just to add on from that yeah I mean congratulations Luke it's been really good to have you and it's been really good to you know have your passion and your valued contributions to the pit crew online you know I sort of joined sort of similar time to you and it's sort of been great to see you know how you flourished and you've been able to take the opportunity 
afforded to you with esports. So, you know, it's going to be sad, but hey, we can always take the mick out of you on Twitter. So, so you it's not, dare. Not you dare. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, well, let's end up the episode here. Um, everyone want to give out their social media handles? Adam? Yep, you can find me on Twitter at Wheeler underscore deals. Um, and just, yeah, keep on keep up to date with all of our IndyCar stuff because we've got the Indy 500 uh, coming Ooh. up in a couple of weeks' time. So, you know, uh, we'll be reporting on that. So can't wait. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, British Touring Cars is also back over the weekend. I know Aaron got very busy with that. Uh, I, I very much enjoyed all the racing that happened. Aaron, what's your social media handle? Uh, my social media is at Aaron Erwin7. Uh, I just want to say quickly, I mean, obviously, congrats, Luca, on the role. And secondly, you two say you've joined within the last year. I've been here six years now. I feel oh, like the, uh, oldie. I'm, I'm <laughs> one of the uh, oh, longest serving now, I think. Well, There's best only keep two it or three right. in front of me. Oh, I, I'm not going to bother asking. We're already going on too long. Uh, and yeah, you can also find me on Twitter, RedLuca56. Thank you very much for listening. And as always, we will see you out on track.